We are really um, thrilled to have here with us this morning Les Isaacs, OBE. I know, very impressive. Um, with us here this morning, uh, Les is the founder and CEO of the Ascension Trust UK, and he leads street pastors, which many of you will be familiar with because some of our own family here are street pastors, and um, I think you guys nearly have over 13,000 volunteers now out on the streets, which is just incredible. So um, we're looking forward to hearing from you this morning, Les. So why don't we give Les a really warm central welcome. And uh, I'd love to pray for you as you um, speak this morning. So, yeah, Father, thank you um, for Les. Thank you that he's your son. And that's the biggest accolade we could ever speak, that we are sons and daughters of you. So we pray, Father, this morning that Les would know real joy in being your son and speaking the words that you have given him, opening up your scripture to us. So we bless him. We thank you for him, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. I think this is the first time I've been to your Sunday morning service, but not the first time I've been in your building. And so it gives me great privilege and pleasure to serve this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes to the church there, and you... He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and has raised us up together, and has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ, Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. I love those, those scriptures. They're rich, they're powerful, they're dynamic. And I want to spend a few moments just helping us, just to unpack that a little bit. Because I believe that... As we think about the Apostle Paul, and it was interesting just hearing your pastor speaking and, and thinking that this is the same Paul that speaks about his desire to go to Jerusalem, his desire to go to Rome. And this is the same Paul that Agabus, the prophet, prophetically grabbed hold of his coat and says, 
he whom I've grabbed this coat will be bound. And the tension Paul felt and the love of the people for Paul. But there was purpose. And I want to encourage us as we look at the text this morning because here's Paul writing to the guys in Ephesus. A city which is multicultural, multiracial, a city of great influence, a city of diversity in terms of cultures and subcultures. And Paul is reminding them of who they are, where they're coming from, their purpose, God's will for them. And I want us this morning to just get a hold of that for a moment, that each and every one of us have a purpose, individually. God has something significant for each of every one of us that only you could fulfill. God has a purpose for us corporately as a local congregation in terms of his kingdom and in terms of that mosaic plan that he has that together we will accomplish together. And it's not by chance in, in chapter 4, Paul speaks again and reminds that God gave gifts to the church and some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why? Because God is doing something in terms of equipping men and women to serve. So there is a plan. God is not confused. God has a plan for your pastor. God has a plan for the leadership. God has a plan for this congregation. God has a plan for each and every one of us. You can say hallelujah. That's okay. <laughs> he has a plan. And so Paul reminds the church in the midst of all the complexities and the challenges, first of all, he reminds them of God's work, the work of salvation, the work of grace. And you has he made alive who were dead. And I want to just remind us about the fact that we are coming from somewhere. We weren't all born like that and automatically transferred because someone sprinkled some water on us and did a few dip, dip, dub, dub. But there was a point in time in our lives where we consciously made a decision to follow Jesus. Intellectually, we couldn't understand it. But spiritually, there was a connection. We felt that there was something significant about saying yes to Jesus. And we know that we were wretched. We know that our lives were in a mess. We know that we were inconsistent in our character, in our personality. We know that we were making a mess of our lives. We know that there was a lot of uncertainties. And yet we came to a place where we said yes to Jesus. Before I was a Christian, I was a Rastafarian. And I used to have long locks and smoke ganja, marijuana. Some of you are laughing because you know about ganja. <laughs> you used to call it pot, isn't it, and weed, you know? And I used to worship a man called Emperor Haile Selassie. 
And I believed in him and I trusted him and I prayed to him. I meditated upon him. But God who was rich in his grace and his mercy saved me. The first time I had an encounter with God, I was in a nightclub in a place called Wardour Street in the heart of West End, in a nightclub. 3.30 in the morning, smoking some joint, and I heard the voice, you don't belong here. The voice was louder than the PA system. I didn't understand it, but I heard a voice affirming me and telling me I don't belong there. The second encounter, I was going to a place called Primrose Hill, not far from Regent's Park. Every Sunday afternoon, we used to meet, beat drums and meditate and smoke marijuana. And I met a Christian and he began to speak to me about Jesus. And he quoted from the book of Proverbs, the old King James Version. He says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but at the end, the ways of death. And as I was beating my drum, I was smoking those words I began to meditate upon. But I resisted God because I was doing my own thing. I was living with my girlfriend and God challenged me about living with my girlfriend. And God challenged me. So I said to my girlfriend, I cannot live with you. I cannot sleep with you because there's something about what God is doing in my life. I don't understand it. So you can imagine how my girlfriend felt when I told her I can't sleep with her anymore. See, the God that we serve goes totally against the cultures of this world. Before I was a Christian, God convicted me that living and sleeping with someone who was not my wife was wrong. Come on, we forget where God has brought us from. Paul is reminding the church, hey listen, God has brought you from somewhere. You weren't born a saint. You're a sinner. You're messed up. You're an alien from God. But God has came to you and God, through the power of his gospel, saved you. Forgave you grace, unmerited favor. And God's brought you into this wonderful hope, this wonderful promise. And if God has brought us in to his kingdom and to his promise, then there is something significant that God has called us to do. And I want to challenge us about this. We're not people who are walking around aimlessly without, you know, just finding our way through. There's significance, there's purpose, there's season. And it's for each and every one of us to find that season, to know that season. A good friend of mine who's gone to be the Lord named Ken McGreevy. Wonderful teacher. And he used to meet with us as young guys with Roger Foster. And we used to sit down and listen to these guys. And Ken says this, God is not looking for activities. He is looking for receptivity. And it's important that each and every one of us in this chaotic and busy time in the 21st century that we find time to pray, to listen to God so that God could remind us of where he's brought us from, where we're at, and what he wants to do in our lives. That's receptivity. And Paul said to the Ephesian guys, God's called you to be different. But secondly, God has called you to be excited about his gospel. There are far too many what I call secret agent Christians. 
007, license to do nothing. <laughs> Nobody knows that they're Christians. They're undercover. They have lost confidence in the gospel. They have forgotten that they've been saved by grace and they've been called into this magnificent kingdom and they are serving the king of kings and the lord of lords. They are serving the conquered lion of the tribe of Judah who has called them into his kingdom. And Paul constantly reminds the church in Ephesians, God has a will for you. God has a plan for you. It was interesting because 30 years ago or so, I was pastoring a church with a thousand people in the church. Just finished rebuilding this building, 800 and something thousand pounds. We knocked down the building. We built a nursery, facilities for young people and all kinds of things. And God said, actually, I want you to leave. One of my elders says, look, we've just built this building and you're going to give that up. You could have a nice office. You could have, I said, hey, that's not what God wants me to do. It was hard. It was tough. It was difficult. But yet after I did that, you know what happened? God says, I want you to start Ascension Trust. I spoke to a friend of mine, Lynn Green, who was head of YWAM and we spoke together, Roger Fawcett, we spoke together as elders and I respect them as apostles in the kingdom. And there was a confirmation that this is it. And let me tell you, it was one of the best things that I've ever did in my life. Because there are, you know, some of my guys was looking at a church with a thousand people, but God was looking at the kingdom. God was looking at the kingdom. I've been able to work in the kingdom and establish things in Australia and America and Africa and the Caribbean and South America. Because I was obedient to God. It's essential to understand that the God that established central is a God who is on the move. And it's a congregation to say, God, we are listening to you, God. Thy will be done here in central as it's done in heaven. But I want to remind us that as individually, the gospel, as Paul was talking about, there's the will, first of all, the purpose that God has for us, but there's something else that Paul is getting at here. The gospel is supposed to impact every area of our lives. Every area. There's no private area for the gospel. One of my prayers, and I prayed it this morning, Lord, help me to have a clean hands, a pure heart, and a right spirit. I don't want to be a wishy-washy, hypocritical Christian. I want to be a Christian who lives a holy and a righteous life. We talk about progressive sanctification because I know my faults and my weaknesses, but there is. He that is holy, let him be holy still. God's called us to be holy, to be people who are set apart because God wants to work in clean vessels. Come on. I don't want to be a Christian on Sunday and a hypocrite on Monday. 
I want to be, live a life that what you see is what you get in my family life. I want to be a good Christian in my family life. I want to be a transparent Christian. I want to be a, a righteous Christian. Come on. Because the gospel has done something in me. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. There has been a metamorphosis, a change. A change in personality, in character, in behavior, in lifestyle. There is a change. And people notice the difference. We haven't become religious people. We haven't become monotonous, predictable people. We've become people who have embraced the change. And Paul said, listen church in Ephesus. Doesn't matter all what's happening around you. You are different. You've been called by God. The power of the Spirit of God has changed and transformed your life. And within your family, they've got to notice the difference. In your workplace, and I know that so many Christians find it challenging in their workplaces to be a Christian. And I say to Christians, listen, in your workplace, if you show up on time, if you're totally dedicated, if you're smart, if you're the best in your job, people respect you. They will. They'll respect you. Come on. Because people are always looking, what is it that motivates people? What's the driver? And let me tell you, for every Christian, the driver for us is Jesus and his gospel. Not our intellect, not our gifts and skills and our abilities to do all sorts of things, but it should be Jesus. I was with a guy that I got to know quite well and he works for one of the big banks and I went to see him and we were just talking and he said to me, hey listen, Les, I be, went to Hong Kong, made lots of money, lots of money and my mind was on money, money, money but my, I had a wife who was a praying woman, a godly woman and she was praying for me. I was chasing mammon but my wife was pursuing God and eventually the penny dropped. And I discovered with all the wealth that I have, I was poor. I discovered the Jesus who was rich. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel makes us rich. He gives us peace. He gives us contentment. The gospel, when, it, when you apply it, when it is applied to your life, it makes a significant difference in our lives. And that's what Paul was saying. I love the song by Fanny Crosby, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation. I'm purchased of God. I'm born of his spirit. I'm washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. I praise him, my savior, all the day long. That's excitement. We need to have confidence in the gospel, the gospel who has changed our lives. And not only confidence, but we need to tell the story, live the story, but tell the story. We need to be the story. I'm on the streets and I'm doing street pastoring. And, you know, we, we get out on the streets and people think we're nutter. They say, which church are you from? And we, we tell them and, they say, and they're amazed that we're from so many different denominations. 
Because you know the history, you know, we get hang up on our theology, we get hang up on our tradition. You know, some of my friends, they come to church and they wear a long nighty. you know, and some of us rock up, you know, yeah, looking good and, you know. <laughs> but, you know, God's over that. Then they say to us, and why, why are you doing this? And we say, Jesus. And then they say, do you get paid to do this? Because from 10 to 4, we're out on the street. Do you get paid to do this? And we say, no. And they become fluent in French. You're effing mad, mate. But you know something? I have never, ever been so affirmed in my life than on the streets. I have people come up to me, mate, I think you're an effing good geezer. And I'm thinking, wow, no one in the church has ever told me that before. I was in Lincoln and the lady came out this club and just because she's been helped and, and she's been blessed by street pastors, she said, I want to give you a kiss. I said, woman, I'm a mad man. Oh, don't mind, you deserve this. They want to give me a pint. They want to give me food. Why? Because they're seeing something of the kingdom in our lives. That's Jesus. We've got to be. When you come into faith, when Jesus calls you, he wants to make you. He shapes you. He molds you. He gives you confidence. Now, let me just tell you this. I don't get excited about Jesus because I'm black. So please dispel that. Some people say, oh, Les, Les, you know, he's black, you know. You know black people. I've seen the Blues Brothers film, you know. <laughs> Come on. For some Christians, their excitement is this. Look. But it's not about culture. It's not about what you're black, white, Scottish, Irish. It's not about that. It's about the work and the power of God in your life. It's Christ in me, the scripture says. The hope of glory. That's what it's about. So when you come to faith, it's not coming into church and sitting down in a congregation and, you know, getting woodworm in your posterior. It's about discovering the Jesus that has changed you, the Jesus that has changed your life with the power of the gospel and his spirit and has said to you, come and follow me and let me use you and mold you and shape you that in every aspect of your life, you'll be dynamic. Every aspect of your life, you'll bring glory and honor to him. We're part of a wonderful body. And with all the culture in Ephesus, Paul says, hey, Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, has brought us together. Isn't it wonderful? Brought us together. The church, church in it. The church living out. The church showing the grace and the power of his kingdom. That's the church. And we're part of it. We're part of this body that's called the church the called out one, the ecclesia. God has called us, hey, come on. I remember the first time that I really came to fellowship in a church and I had to hit myself like this, are you dreaming? Never forgot it. Are you dreaming? People actually are excited about their faith. People are singing about their faith. And Jesus is saying, actually, it's not just for Sunday morning, but it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. 
And if it's a lifestyle, that lifestyle produces fruits. So it's his will. It is a lifestyle in terms of the change, but it's delivering fruits. One of my greatest joy is to share Jesus with people. One of my greatest joy. So I'm on the ninth floor of a new Scotland Yard. And I'm around the table with at least 15 senior other police officers speaking about policing, policing that complex city. And we're talking, we're talking about all the issues. How do we police the city dynamically, effectively? Talked about history and how do we bring cohesion? What do we need? And I'm there. But I'm there not just only as a person who is a citizen of London. I'm there, number one, as a Christian. So I'm always seeking the mind of God in those contexts. What is God saying? What is he saying? So in the midst of it, God is speaking to me. And I want to tell you this. Please allow God through his spirit to speak to you in those board meetings, in those team meetings, in those difficult times. Allow God to speak. Don't just remember the formulas that you learned in school. But here, remember that the spirit of God is with you. So I beckoned to the chairman and said, chairman, um, could I say something? He said, Reverend Les, and I always put on there reverend. And the reason why I put reverend, because a lot of people say the church is not doing anything. They're ignorant of what the church is doing. People will be ignorant, large non-Christians will be ignorant of what Central is doing on a big scale. And the reason why they're ignorant is because our PI is useless. We need to step up in terms of our PI. We need to bring clarity to the people that we're not just happy clappers, but we are people who are salt and light, and we are people who are relevant and practical, change in society and lives. So the chairman said, you can speak. So I said, first of all, let me just tell you all, I just want to say thank you all as officers for putting your life on the line every day and policing this very complex city. Thank you. And secondly, I would like to pray for you all. I know that some of you have no faith. I know that some of you have other faith. But as the minister of the gospel, I'd like to pray for you all. Now I'm saying this. In a board meeting with all the top senior officers in London. How can I do that? One, I'm in the spirit listening to God. Because God looks beyond the uniform. And God knows the mind, and God knows the personality, the character. God knows the pressure. God knows the desires of those men and women's heart. And God puts me in the right place at the right time. But God also, through his spirit, gives me bonus. Every head bow, and I prayed. In the tea break, one officer said to me, it's obvious that you believe what you preach. It's obvious that you believe what you preach. Is it really obvious to people that you're engaging with in your family and community and, and, and city and workplace that you actually believe what you preach? Is it obvious? That's a challenge. As we remember what Christ has done and where we are coming from, and as we remember the grace of God, let it be obvious to us. Let it be obvious to all those we meet.
Now, I'm not talking about Christians going around with a four-by-four Bible and beating people up over the head. There's so many nutters out there as Christians. Here what the Bible says, it's a wise man that wins a soul. We understand timing. We understand opportunities. We understand when it's time to keep quiet, but we also understand it's now time to speak. The God that you and I serve is a God who is challenging us to understand his will for our lives. Do you really understand God's will for your life? You know one of the reasons why we come and we pray is because we're saying, God, please open my ears, open my eyes, open my heart. Enable me to be receptive. Let me be obedient to you. That's why we come. That's why we pray. That's why we cry out to God. And Paul says to the guys, remember that you were once Gentiles. Remember that you were once aliens. Remember that once you were in darkness. But remember he has called us. He has made us part of his will. Part of his kingdom. And he's challenging us to follow me. Follow him. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. And as we do that, God is saying to us, get excited, be dynamic, be enthusiastic, be passionate, and allow my spirit to work in you and through you in you and through you. Allow him to work. Allow him to be glorified. Allow Jesus that we love, that we feel honored and privileged to serve. Allow him. Say to him this morning, Lord, your will be done in my life. Lord, let your kingdom come and fulfill your purpose in my life. Lord, help me to be a blessing to Central, to Edinburgh, to Scotland. Lord, wherever you want to lead me, your will will be done. Can we say that this morning? He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I love Jesus. And my heart desire is to serve him. My wife and I often talk about the fact one day I will die, we will die. <clears throat> I've met so many Christians who want, want to go to heaven but they don't want to die. Come on. Last weekend, we had to take the funeral of one of my good friends. Um, we were at the funeral of one of my good friends, daughter and son-in-law died, died tragically. And yet, at that funeral, the gospel was rich. The speaker says, they're happy, we're sad. But yet, it reminded us, our desire is to be with Jesus. So I said to my, I said to my wife, honey, one day I will die. Now, you know, coming from sort of African history and tradition, you know, we don't mess around with death, okay? When you go to Africa, you have a death. It takes three days 
to bury one person. Here we take a half an hour, an hour, and I could never get my head around it, but we, we, we celebrate, okay? We celebrate. We have a good old eat up, drink up, and excited, okay? Anyway, I said, honey, when I die, I said, at the funeral, do a little tears for me. Just a little bit. I want people to know you love me. But I said, darling, if you cry too much, I'm going to get up and rebuke you. <laughs> Come on. Listen, we have an exciting gospel. And we need to be excited about everything of the gospel. We're living for him and we die in him. And so we are saying, God, your will be done. Stand with me, please. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand back the microphone. But before I pray, I want to challenge you. Let this day be a different day, a new day. In your thinking, in your attitude, in your commitment, in your passion, and in your zeal. All powerful words. But if they become a reality, you've got a totally different person. Totally different person. And I want to pray. And in a moment, we're going to be invited to come and to be prayed for as well. But I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for this church, this congregation. I thank you for your servants who've been leading it so diligently and faithfully. Thank you for the eldership who are consistent in their ministry. And Lord, I thank you for this congregation. And I pray that this will be a season when every individual will step up. They will go deeper in their love for you. They will have clarity about your calling on their lives and your will for them. And Father, as they are challenged to step out, I pray that you would give them the courage and that you'd be with them. In Jesus' name, amen.